welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Sabine Chalmers, the current general counsel at BT in the UK. It's an extraordinary story. Sabine takes us through her childhood in India and being schooled in the Philippines, the influence of her grandmother, and then when she, after studying law in the UK, at early time as an associate at Lovells, and then her in-house career, Diageo, to start off with, about 12 years as the general counsel there. And then, of course, the time she spent as the chief legal and corporate affairs officer and a company secretary at ABN Bev, the world's largest brewer, and what it was like being the only female on the executive team there. So highly accomplished and a great personal story too. I really enjoyed the discussion. I'm sure you will too. So sit back, chillax and enjoy the show. Hi there, Sabine. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, we're going to have lots of fun today, Sabine. I, I just know it. <laughs> I'm going to start off with a little story, though, if I can. It was the first time that I'd heard you speak back in 2017. I think the topic was diversity or diversity and inclusion. And uh, Sabine, you took us through your personal story, probably for the first half an hour. It was a wonderful story. Your background, the way your parents met, your you know German father, Indian mother, the influence of your grandmother. And then towards the end of the story, you, you really tied into the theme of diversity and importance in your team. And it was one of those occasions for me. It's like when the lights come on when the, once the movie is done, you realize you were transported away and you did that on that occasion. And you actually taught me the power of a personal story. So I would love for you to share a little bit of that personal story with the audience today. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, no. Well, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for, for saying that. I mean, look, I often reflect on the fact that I was, I guess, incredibly lucky to have You know, it's much more common now, but I suppose, especially when I was growing up, such a international, global, mixed cultural experience, right? And, you know, as I mentioned, my dad, dad was German and mum from India. And I was born in India and was raised so early life very much in in India and and Philippines. And gosh, I look back on it now and I think of, you know, really kind of how lucky I was to have had all those all that that sort of melting pot experience. And yeah, in particular, as I mentioned, my grandmother was a, my maternal grandmother was a huge, huge role model for me and a big influence in my life. And she was, you know, born in India at the turn of the century. So the early 1900s and was one of these, I often say it's sort of forces of nature, right? To, you know, really live life on her own terms and sort of, you know, married for love, married outside her religion and was also widowed at quite an early age, but, you know, went on to, with four small children, run her own business and open up her house as a guest house, right? You know, made a huge success of it. She was, you know, she's been featured, the BBC's done a doc on her and she's in the Lonely Planet and and all sorts of things. And, you know, passed away at the grand old age of 101, you know. (laughs) What an innings. I'm not sure if the American... (laughs) Oh, no, the American audience will understand that, but what an innings. How about that? What an, what an innings. She loved cricket as well. But yep. she really sort of taught me masses about, I think it was two things. One, just the importance of tolerance and and diversity, you know, and encouraged 
all her kids to, you know, they all they all went on to, you know, the eldest married a Brit and ended up in the UK. My mum married a German, which we'll come on yeah. to. Her younger brother married a Filipina and ended up in the Philippines. And my auntie, her youngest, is in a same-sex relationship and carries on running kind of the guest house today. And I and I often think back that, especially for a woman in India at those times, you know, yeah. to encourage all these things was incredible. And she always gave me this feeling that you, you know, could, with hard work, right, and purpose, you could achieve almost, almost anything. And the other thing I'll just add that she really believed in, and, and my father was very much the same, was the power of education to change yeah. generations, right? So, Everything she did through her business, she invested in educating her children. And dad, my dad was from a very humble family in Germany, but traveled, traveled the world, you know, lived in also, he lived in Australia, actually, back in those days. And, you know, again, everything he did was, was to give me an education. And, and a lot of, I guess, how I live my life now is trying to continue that, that yep. journey. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you yourself, I think you studied, sorry, you went to high school, certainly in the Philippines, yep. and then the opportunity to, I, I think it was the LSE. Yeah. Um, that's when yeah. you got your law degree. That's right. And then I would just say yep. the again, the, the opportunity to, I was at the international school in the Philippines for, you know, until I was 18. Again, that's one of those, you know, how lucky was I that there were all sorts of, you know, different nationalities, religions, you know, cultures, and you really saw there that how the power of diversity that people bring all these differences yeah. and different ways of thinking you know you could you know this is going to sound a bit naive but make make the world a better place but also yeah. solve almost any problem with that diversity of thought yeah and i could say that i mean growing up in that kind of environment has clearly influenced you and we'll talk a bit about that what i'd like to touch on a little bit is you know i, I often ask my guests about influencing factors in their career and no doubt you've the kind of you're up bringing the influence of your parents and your grandmother. So then moving to your career, you started off as an associate. What I'd like to talk a little bit about is different influencing factors in those different stages. Let's say starting off with, I think it was Hogan Lovells as an associate. There's one story, I'd, if you can weave this one in, I'd love it. I do remember a story told about wearing pants. So I'll, I'll, I'll say no more on that. But what about influences during that part of your career? Yeah, so as you mentioned, when I finished high school in the Philippines, then moved to England and studied law at the, the LSE. I had a summer job at the firm that became Hogan Lovells and then and then joined joined Lovells as a you know trainee and then really specialized in sort of corporate transactions MA. And you know it was the late eighties, early nineties. It was it was, you know remember that, it well. Remember <laughs> it well it was very Wall Street, right? And and yeah, it was very it was very macho, very male, you know. Yep. I mean I'm not criticizing it was just the way it was but I do remember and it's actually a funny story because my husband and I Rich and I we got married and we went on honeymoon to Italy and and he bought me this what I thought was a fabulous trouser suit right and I'm gonna say trousers rather than pants just in case yep. people I thought I'm gonna wear this into work right and I wore it into work and I remember one of the partners saying please don't ever wear that again because the clients prefer skirts. <laughs> now, there are going to be jaws yeah. dropping every, you know, listening to this, thinking how on earth could that possibly happen? But it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but uh, I, to, to be fair, and, I, and let, me, let me put it in context, I mean, again, Lovell's an amazing firm that's also, I think, learned through the, through, 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 through the ages and has a yep. huge 
commitment to diversity. <laughs> yeah. But those were the days, right? Those were the times. Yeah. 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 And your early career in house, I think you started, I think you probably had about eight or 10 years at Diageo. That, that's correct, isn't it? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that and then that the move to Anheuser-Busch InBev and your GC position there and the influencing factors that took you on that little journey. And then I'm going to do a bit of a deeper dive in relation to your time at AB InBev. Yeah, sure. No, so I would say sort of firstly, and this is often when lawyers that are starting out in their career ask me for advice. And, you know, obviously times have changed, but I will never regret having started in private practice, right? I yeah. think it it just taught me... Of sort of a, a discipline and an understanding of how different clients were and different needs and what you know that that sort of professionalism right and that that sort of foundation and again I mean Lovells was an incredible training ground and also gave me a fantastic helicopter view I think of the different types of businesses you know and areas of of industry, right, that you could support. But I think from a very early stage, interacting with clients, I just thought, gosh, you know, I would like to be part of a business and part of the family, you know, of a business and a, and a wider organization. And I left private practice, so kind of six years in, and I've, I've never looked back, you know. I've worked yeah. with loads of law firms, really respect it, but my heart is really in, in the business world. And I was super lucky to have had the opportunity to land a, a spot at what was Guinness PLC at the time and then became yeah. became Diageo. And fantastic brands, amazing global footprint, and started with Guinness in, in London, but then actually, I mean, they they were amazing. They, they they placed huge bets on me and got to work in Miami. I was I was general counsel for the Latin American business, then supported the international markets out of London and Miami. And then my last role with them was general counsel of the North American business, so the US based in, in Connecticut. And I was with them for twelve years and thought I was gonna, you know be there forever it was really fun yep yep <laughs> and then of course around 2005 is when you joined Anheuser-Busch InBev a yep. couple of things I'd like to explore there I saw something recently which you posted I think Carlos Britos there is recently just retired after 30 plus years yeah. you talked about the influence that he made on you both personally and professionally and basically the bets he placed on you and I love that I love it when you know people place bets on others and that just pays off can you talk a little bit about that and influence that's probably had on on the way that you now kind of groom and deal with your teams and yeah i'd love to hear more about that gosh totally i mean i could talk about about brito forever amazing amazing boss and built an amazing company and in fact when i joined in 2004 it was still in bev right so it was before in bev, yep. it was before the ab combination and you know i remember being contacted for the role and i was general counsel of north america right at so in the sort of deputy position at, at diageo at the time and i was pretty young in my career i was still in my 30s right then and yeah. i remember saying to the headhunter look there's just like this is no way i mean this is a waste of time you know i'm i'm not experienced enough i'm not you know <laughs> went through that whole thing yep. they're going to want someone who's a sitting gc and i remember he said no you know this company just kind of doesn't think that way right and i think the thing that really attracted me as well was they said yes they're looking for a lawyer but they're also looking for someone who is, you know, has experience of working across different cultures, right? Because it was bringing together yep. a lot of Latin American and, and European cultures. And also, and actually this is 
this is one piece of advice I'd give. They were very keen to have someone who was dual qualified, both had US experience, but also European or, or, or other jurisdictions. And Diageo, I'd taken the New York bar. So that also ticks some boxes for them. And and I couldn't believe it when I got the job, right? And, and we moved to yeah. Belgium as a family. And I thought, and it was a gigantic step up for me, right? And I, you know, I, I often say I managed to keep fooling them, thank goodness. Right? Yeah. Oh, so a little bit of imposter syndrome was A little was bit there. of imposter syndrome. <laughs> but, you know, Brito, I mean, he was amazing. When he became CEO, he was very young in his career himself and just had, and I think I mentioned this in my post, just this view that if you surrounded yourself with, you know, with people who wanted to play as part as a team. And even if they weren't quite there yet, they had the ability to be better than you or, you know, we're going to just kind of work hard enough to always be better. Amazing things would happen. And, you know, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, the transactions we did, the markets that we worked in, the teams that we built, it was an amazing ride. You know, yeah. And he always pushed pushed us to be, to be better, right? Yeah, I've heard you talk before about the power of being, I think you were the only woman on the exec team during your time there, or certainly during a large part of your time there. Tell us what that was like and, and what you mean by what you felt in that position, being the only woman. You know, I'd, I'd say kind of on the, the one hand, one, one of, and I, and I say this with meaning, one of the fantastic things was, you know, the culture was really committed to a meritocracy. So I never felt like you know, I was there because I was a woman or yep. that I was the only woman or, or this, that, you know, those sorts of things. I, I think the thing I've always been very kind of, what is the word though, empathetic or sensitive to is in whatever teams you are, when you are different, shall we say, and let me use the phrase difference, yep. kind of, you know, two things happen. I mean, one, you're, I have learned in life this thing about, you know, how they say there's the power of critical mass of three or four. You know, yeah. and I think once you you are in a group with that sort of critical mass, maybe it becomes easier to have a bigger voice, right? Or not to feel uncomfortable sometimes, or just to feel different, yeah. right? You know, you feel more part of a group. So kind of that's one thing. But also, I was very aware that I could bring a different perspective, and that that was important for the company and for our customers and consumers. And then I almost had a responsibility, right, to use my yeah. voice in those environments, right? Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, like, if I didn't say sometimes it was hard feeling really different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So towards the end of or you, end of your time at AB InBev, I, I, again, I've heard you say, I think it was 2017, I heard you say, well, I was done. I thought I was done. And you took some time off and worked out you weren't done. Can you take us through that, what you're thinking at the time was when you thought you were done and then why that didn't turn out to be the case? And of course, then you joined as the GC of BT, I think in 2018. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that because a lot of us, well, I'm sure there are lots of us out there who are you know, thinking about when we're done and thinking about that rainbow at the end of that little journey. And it ends up being a box of cornflakes. So to the extent that you can shed a little bit of your experience on that, I, I'd really be keen to hear it. <laughs> sure, I, I guess that word "sort of done" right is a is an interesting yeah. thing because I think probably the way I would look at it is that it's time for new adventures. Let let me put it that yeah. way. Or and at AB and Bev, I again fantastic run, but I think of all of Brito's team, I was really the only one who had been in the same role for you know 
over a decade, right? And right. although the role obviously had expanded with all the the different combinations that we did, it was still the same role, right? And I think a couple of things happened. One was, you know, kind of the honest realization that for whatever the reasons, there, there wasn't going to be an obvious other role for me to do, yep. you know, in the company. That in many ways, I'd also stopped learning, right? Yep. Uh, and and you know when you feel that, right? When, yeah. when it when yeah. you've stopped when you've sort of stopped learning. And also, I think most importantly, there was, you know, I guess this is one of the things I'm proudest about. There, there was a a long line of people who were ready to do my role and would bring a. Yep a different perspective to it. Yeah, so it, it was just, you know, like I said, there was a, you know, and in fact, John John Blood, who's now the Chief Legal and Corporate Affairs Officer there, I worked with John at Diageo and then and then he came right. to join me at AB InBev. And so he's doing a fantastic job and really, really yep. proud yep. of him there. Yeah. 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 Did, did you actually feel like your, let's say your time, was it just your time at AB InBev or was it potentially your time as a GC might have been done when you when you took the time off to, to reflect what else you were going to do? Did, did that come? into your thinking it did actually and I, and I I think I I felt at the time I was you know that perhaps I was done as a GC yep. let's call it that and that okay. I would do a combination of board roles I was doing a bit of teaching and also we set up our own little little modest family foundation that right. focuses on education and that you know that would be the sort of focus I was also very conscious that Natasha our daughter it was her last year at home before going to to uni and we you know just wanted to to help her with that you know the college entrance yep. process but also do some traveling you know you know that sort of thing we actually spent we did a national geographic three and a half weeks in australia and new zealand actually oh, lovely. Time as well lovely. So, so yeah so it was it was a, it was a combination of of those things and then i guess a couple of things happened i mean one just you know, as is inevitable, you know, you start getting a few phone calls and that sort of thing. And the thing I realized was that I, I really missed my team. You know, I yeah. really missed working with my team. And also, I think being part of the, the sort of the fabric of a business. So yep. I, made, I made the mistake of going into to chat to BT and I <laughs> 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 got drawn back in, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I mean, those factors, the being part of a team, yeah. the learning, because when you do stop learning, you, you, I mean, you certainly feel it. And whether it's an organisation or whether it's because you're taking a break, that doesn't surprise me that that made influence on you. Anything else, the learning, the team, I suppose, being part of a bigger organisation and a mission, anything else that, that got you thinking, you know what, I can keep going for a little while at least? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think a lot of it also had to do with the specificity of the BT opportunity because yep. it was the opportunity to learn in a completely different industry, right? So, you know, I'd been in consumer goods for all of my career and suddenly to move into telecommunications tech, something I knew very little about. And and also, you know, a you know, it was a bunch of things. It was it an industry with a lot of challenges. So the the opportunity to try to help with some of those yeah. challenges. And then I think the final piece I would say is the sort of, particularly in the modern world, and we found this during COVID, right? The purpose and the role that connectivity plays in, in people's lives. Yeah. And I think also finally, at that point in my life, the ability to to return to the UK where Richard's parents, they've sadly since, you know, passed away, but that was also part of the thinking, that ability to, 
to sort of be here and to give back to a country that's, you know, gosh, I mean, my education, my husband, my my early yep. career, all of it started here, right? Yep. So, yeah. 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 And that's that's interesting because the challenge of going into a completely different industry because it's something well it's, it's kind of easy to continue to build on the industry specific skills that you've developed. How did you immerse yourself? What, what what was the strategy to to learn and to do a deep dive into telco and go from basically nothing to building up you know, starting to build up your knowledge base? What what was the strategy there? Because I I think there'd be lots of GCs out there listening to this this thinking about what would a different industry for them be like a little bit of the how from, from, from you Sabine might help well, yeah well I, I guess look the first thing I would say is that you know I only felt comfortable or contemplated doing it because I knew that there was a terrific team here right yep. and you know there's absolutely no way <laughs> um, and also the former general counsel Dan Fitz at BT he and I were friends right and he was very much part of you know, we'd be friends for years before the opportunity came up. And Dan was really, I think, fantastic in helping me to understand not just the nature of the business, but also the culture of the organization, what the challenges were. And I think most importantly, why he felt I could do it, right? So, and I think a lot of that was you know, was part of the thinking. And then, I mean, BT was amazing when I joined in terms of induction. And a lot of it was, especially initially, spending time in the business. So going out to the call centers, going out with the engineers, right? Just really understanding sort of, you know, going to our technology center, understanding the nuts and bolts of the business, and then really getting into the fabric of, what our external stakeholders expected of it because it's highly regulated, right? Yeah. Um, like telcos, you know, many places in the world. But I think really spending time with some of our, you know, external stakeholders as well to understand what the what the yep. <laughs> what the challenges are and yep. expectations and opportunities are there. Yep. Right. Yeah. When we started our discussion, I talked about your initial story and the way you wove it into the importance of diversity into your team. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, the importance of diversity for the own, your own in-house legal team, as well as on the supplier side, the law firm side, and the kind of steps you've taken there, or certainly the the, the themes and the um, strategies you think about there to drive those kind of, you know, the DNI outcomes. T- tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I... I'd speak to it as well from a, from an AB InBev um, perspective because, yep. uh, well, first of all, and because I guess a lot of what are just the learnings and the thinkings and what to do, what not to do was, was formed yep. there as well. I mean, AB InBev obviously, I mean, incredibly global company, right, with lots of different nationalities, cultures, you know, sell products in over 180 countries, et cetera. And so for me, I think the diversity there was was from all aspects. It was obviously gender, but it was also yeah. different nationalities. It was different cultures, different ways, you know, of doing things, different backgrounds. And really was very lucky there to have had the opportunity of a super global team, right? Yeah. So people from, from everywhere. And I think, you know, one of the things there that was really important for me was ensuring that we were building local talent right and really taking bets on folks that weren't let me put it bluntly either sort of us or european qualified or you know from head office right 
or that kind of thing. And it, it is amazing how when you do that, it opens up the world of of really wider diversity, right, from, from all perspectives. BT is obviously the bulk of our business is UK-based, yeah. but we do also have a global business and a large presence in India. And and there, I, I, th- I think for us, a massive commitment to diversity and inclusion in all aspects, both in terms of our business, our consumers, our and again, I'm super lucky there to be our, our executive sponsor for, for diversity and inclusion. So I work with all of our groups, you know, across gender, across disability, across ethnic diversity, all, all, you know, our carers network, all it's, it, I mean, it's amazing. And you've, the, the amount that I've learned there is, in, is incredible. And you do then try to, to bring it to your team. Yeah. I think first and foremost, one in ensuring that you're understanding the diversity of your team and the needs, you know, that that brings so that you can make people feel that it is a team that you want to continue to stay in and learn and grow in and that there's a place for you. I think, secondly, ensuring that for all our opportunities and positions, at very least, we ensure there's a diverse slate, right, that yeah. we're always looking at. And and also encouraging that more widely within the organization when we do talent reviews. And then finally, this, let me put it this way, the constant dialogue with our suppliers and our law firms and our providers around what are they doing when it yeah. comes to diversity? Yeah. Just listening to you, I just thinking to myself: Is it fair to say, with an a global organisation like AB InBev, that the diversity challenges or goals probably happen or are achieved more naturally? and organically because it is such a global organisation, whereas with a BT, there perhaps needs to be more deliberate strategies around achieving DNI goals. Is that a fair thing to say? Because, you know, it's a, really, it's a really great question. You would think intuitively, oh, you know, global, so automatically yeah. you're going to have lots of... Yeah. But possibly, but at the same time you know, and how do I express this? You realize that just because you're global, it doesn't make you diverse. It doesn't and happen naturally. It doesn't right. happen naturally. And, yeah. and probably in that case, in some ways it's harder because yeah. the different markets that you operate in will also have different, I'm not talking about the company, but different cultural approaches or records, you know, track records when it comes to a lot of diversity in the workplace and that therefore, you know, the... The workforce that's just coming through might not be, yep. you know, might not be terribly, terribly diverse. Whereas certainly, I mean, it's by no means, you know, perfect. But the UK is, I mean, just by nature, is a very diverse society, right? And is very evolved. And I think in at least thinking through the issues, even though, you know, they're, yep. yeah. So it's it, in some weird ways, it's 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 much more present all the time, right, in society in terms of talking yep. about the thing. So it forces. I'm going to say, yeah, forces companies and organizations to be accountable. Yep. In relation to, to law firms, and I've heard you ask this question, so I, I, I'm going to ask it. I've heard you ask, are we being honest with ourselves in relation to diversity amongst our amongst law firms, given the kind of demands 
that are often placed on them in terms of, you know, the working hours, the deliverables, because they are, you know, they are tough demands often. And sometimes they are inconsistent with also, let's say, you know, inconsistent with the kind of life that, you know, female attorneys might have if they've got a family, they've got children and so forth. And so that question is one that really resonated with me. Are we being honest with ourselves when demanding on the one hand diversity from law firms, but then on the other placing demands which, which which is making it difficult for them to achieve those kind of outcomes yeah i mean i've always yes i, I have i yeah. have uh, asked that question many many times and i i think the one thing i have noticed or appreciated is that you know it really is the case and i think this is very healthy that i'm not saying because of that question yep. but that the concept yep. is much more openly discussed in forums now especially across the the general counsel and the in the in-house network you know so when we talk about the commitments to diversity and inclusion and what we might be asking our suppliers for that is talked about very openly and i think you know what i would say is it's really positive and constructive that i think many folks in-house are realizing that that is a factor and that therefore you need to be sensitive and constructive and empathetic to the way you ask your law firms to deliver the services yep. that you require yep. and be sensitive to the fact that like you would with your own teams, right? The teams that you're working with there, do you really need something on a Saturday? Is it okay yep. for a member of the team not to be available at a particular time, you know, et cetera? And I, and I think with that dialogue, you're able to address so many of those those issues. Yeah, I certainly think we've come a long way to at least being in a position where we are considering those things before asking or demanding, putting the kind of demands that typically you might have put in the past on the turnaround times, the availability, so forth. So the fact that that is now kind of top of mind for in-house teams and whether that's really necessary, I think is going to make an, uh, an important, is an important factor and is going to make an important contribution to certainly allowing law firms to put themselves in position to, to achieve the kind of goals and outcomes that in-house teams are placing on them. I think the other thing I'd add is we're obviously all going to take away huge learnings from this last year, right? And, yeah. and, and how COVID has impacted the way people work, right? And I think the positives that it will bring is that sort of flexibility, right? The I, I'm a big believer that I think this sort of hybrid working, right, and different ways of working are here to stay. And obviously working for a technology company, I'm very, yep. you know, I'm very aware that so many of the tools, right, that are provided, you know, will enable people to 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 work in different ways at different times and different places. And, and hopefully that will help right also this you know in in encouraging you know greater diversity yeah, yeah. that's actually nice uh, a good segue into the next question i was going to ask which is around really uh, around the way of working COVID, the impact that's had because i know and again i've heard you say before that you do get your energy if you like from other people and certainly i feel from a personal level, I think I like to think I'm a bit of an energy giver, and that I really feed off other people's energy, and that's been really tough. And you know, for everyone, of course, in the last twelve plus months. How, how about the, the impact on you, Sabine, and your team? Because you are, I think, clearly an energy giver, and you know, respond to to, to people's energy. How's that impacted on you, and how do you think that's impacted on the team? Yeah, I mean, look on a 
personal level I'll be honest that there was a period of many months where it was it was really hard because we yeah. uh Richard do made a guest appearance you know we 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 took the decision that we didn't want Natasha to be alone in New York where she was during particularly at the, during the first lockdown when covid started so he made his way there and we were separated for you know a number of months right and in some ways work was a refuge i would yeah. say I would use that phrase and you know because of who we are bt was incredibly busy on all fronts right you know so there was tons to do but i really felt as the months you know went on that it was it it was super hard it was i felt very isolated and i think not you know the family unit not being together was was tough right yeah. so that that was kind of that was one thing but again bt and my team it was you know positive was i think the connectivity that we like literally the connectivity through yeah. um not only working together through technology and all of that but we all did our best to be very mutually supportive to have you know all the things i know that lots of you know groups and companies have done but the, the quiz nights the informal drinks yep. you know the cocktail making sessions yep. <laughs> you know? did you squeeze in a cooking session at all <laughs> and just checking in just checking yep. in with each other right so yeah and it it gosh i i i mean you know again i think hybrid is here to stay but i can't wait to get yep. back you know into an office right and to actually be with people right and um yeah yeah. Yeah. I think it could have been last year, but anyway, recently your team got awarded the most transformative in-house team of the year. Tell us a little bit about that and not a bad achievement given that you just joined in 2018. You must have been super proud of that. Tell us a bit about that and what that meant to you and how you got there. Yeah. Well, look, first of all, I need to say that's down to the team and particularly uh, Chris Fowler, who I'm I'm sure you know who... Uh, yep. Shout out to Chris. We had him on a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think I, I was super proud, one, because it's great recognition for the team, but two, one of, you know, if not the most important aspect, certainly of the internal agenda is transformation of BT, right? So really, you know, modernizing the company and making us, you know, fit for purpose for the centuries that come. So yep. to have a recognition to show that the legal team was doing its bit, right, to be part of that journey. So, you know, first of all, just in terms of our organizational design of the team, how we line up with the business, how we use, you know, technology to transform, excuse me, the way that we do things. And I think also, you know, finally, to just completely open our minds to, to different models, right, of how we could or should provide services to the company, you know, is it's, it's great to be part of a team that one is aligning with the business on that front, but also making sure that we're never standing still. Right. And yeah. And Chris, when I started in role, Chris was, you know, my, my ops manager, as it was together with his technology uh, day job, the tech tech day job got so big now that in fact, we've got a dedicated ops role and Leanne and my team looks after that. But 
you know, it's been, it's just been instrumental in bringing, I think the function along to, yep. to keep thinking and, and changing. So yeah, it's a great, it's a great accolade for them. Now, Sabine, a couple of questions I like to ask all of my guests, reflective type of questions. What have you spent time worrying about in the past, which on reflection was not time well spent? Yeah. I mean, I've spoken about this and I might have spoken about it in the session that you that you attended in in 2017 i think yep. you know it's just this this sort of realization that you know and it comes back to diversity i i just think within yep. business at the end of the day the sorts of things that may you worry about maybe also especially kind of earlier in in your career be it i don't know just stuff or is litigation going to go wrong or you yep. know are you going to sued by so-and-so or is a particular client not going to be happy with this, that, or the other, or, you know, what? I think it's that realization that, look, all those, it's just business, right? And all that, yeah. it's important, but it's just business. And all those things have a solution. And if you bring a diverse team together, you, you, you know, you're going to figure it out. But that when you have personal tragedy in life, and I think also COVID will be a big reset for people on this, that's, you know, there's like no solution sometimes. That's the yeah. worst thing can happen and i think that just puts it puts everything in perspective yeah, yeah. dovetails in my next question i often ask you know what advice would you give your 25 year old self i'm not sure your 25 year old self needed all that much advice sabine because i think you've nailed your career but is there yeah. anything on reflection that you would other than i suppose you know as you said, it's focusing on the, the, the personal stuff, which you can't kind of unwind, whereas the work and the professional usually works itself out. It's never as bad as it seems. It's usually never as good as it seems too when you're either facing problems. Yeah. So again, anything that you'd advise your 25-year-old self? Oh, gosh. I think probably kind of three things and maybe some people will, re will recognize this. I think one is this, you really are, at least I was, I was really in a hurry right? When I was 25, I was just really in yep. a hurry for advancement, promotion, kind of all those other things. And, you know, life is short, but life is also long, right? And it's almost like a sort of, you know, a, a kind of... It's a marathon. <laughs> yeah, right? and it's then, not a sprint. Yeah. I would say the second thing, and, and this is probably really important for lawyers, is that distinction between being liked and being respected, right? And really focusing on the the really important thing is to be respected, yep. right, for the advice and that you give and that you don't have to mold yourself, right, into situations just to be like, because that's, you know. And then the final thing I would say, and this is coming back to Rito, and I really learned it sort of later on, was this, you know, wow, in any team that you work in, and especially if you're in a in a management position, just surround yourself with people that are better than you, right, and that really, really push you to 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 strive for excellence you know all the time and that and that recognition that you're you know you, you're going to be judged ultimately by what teams deliver and the teams that you're part of deliver not what you deliver right and it's yeah. it's step, stepping out of stepping out of that yeah yeah. yeah. One more, just on the personal side, I have read about the family foundation that you've set up, educating mainly girls in Asia. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, fantastic initiative. I'm sure the listeners would love to learn a bit more about that. Yeah. No. So it's it's a very modest little uh, foundation that we that we set up. I mean, I, I think going back to what I was saying about my grandmother, as you know, as I said, I really learned from her this sort of the transformative power of of education. And and again, I'm I'm just a 
big believer that especially in a lot of the I hate to use the word emerging, but emerging or developing markets or whatever, if you if you educate women and you give women a greater role in society, just a lot of things get better, right? So a lot of the focus of, of the foundation is that we've we've actually, in order to get scale, partnered with a fantastic charity called Room to Read that both Richard Richard and I do a lot of work with both their global board and their their, their US and their UK boards. And they are fantastic because they are a combination of all the purposeful things that charities do, but really metrics based, you know, a lot of data driven in terms of the educational initiatives that they are and with a big focus on on India and and many other countries in in Asia. So we, 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 we partner with them on either specific projects with with little schools in Cambodia or India or Vietnam or elsewhere or in the wider work that they do around life skills for women in particular. So, yeah, that's a, that's another big passion of ours. That's fantastic. And, and look, I don't want to finish off without giving a shout out to Richard, your husband, because I have, again, heard you talk about how yeah. important it is, and I've certainly experienced in my life, having a life partner who is, you know, nothing but absolutely supportive of what you're doing and how, obviously, how important that is and how, how influential that is on a successful, whether it's career, life, whatever it might be, the, the importance of a, a life, uh, you know, a life partner who's absolutely supportive. So shout out to Richard there. I hope you don't no. mind me doing that, Sabine. No, please, please do. I've I've often said that. I mean, he was rich, was a lawyer as well. But when I took the InBev job, he uh, he became yeah. a stay-at-home dad there because Natasha was little, and he knew I'd be doing you know a lot of traveling and a lot of. And he was always, you know, you go for it, girl. You know, and I'm yep. gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look after this and you, stuff, and it works. And you did. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah well, yeah. well, a shout out to all supporting life partners out there. So, exactly. Sabine. What a fantastic pleasure it's been speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me. I've had an absolute blast. No, well, I've really enjoyed this too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit. P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.